Well, welcome to, I would say, a pretty different episode. And Dan and I are going to just really reflect back. This is like the year-end wrap-up. It's cold outside. <laughs> We're recording <laughs> this uh, the day before December 1st, but it will be published in December. And I yeah. have to say, I'm really feeling the winter. It's 25 degrees here in Chicago. So I, I've like the mood is set for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's been really cold here too. We got snow yesterday. We actually skied yesterday in uh, the mountains outside of Salt Lake City where we live. And uh, for Thanksgiving, we were also in the mountains and there's snow everywhere. We saw oh, my nice. mother in Colorado. And uh, yeah, it's the time. And, and you, if, for those of you who are watching, listening to this, consuming this, for those of you that are consuming this in a video format, as opposed to an audio one, you can see my lovely holiday themed shirt, courtesy of Amazing. my lovely mother. Uh, it is a, it depicts a St. Bernard in all his glory, <laughs> holding a, um, a Christmas wreath. Um, and she, she got me and Lexi matching versions of these so there Amazing. we are you will see us in our uniform in plenty of the shuloff family uh auto photos <laughs> but yeah, yeah stay, the stay tuned for our next podcast when we publish dan's holiday card <laughs> so. it's very very uh i feel <laughs> yeah i mean these dogs like our dogs you know we have saint bernard's and they do so they're yeah. so i don't know that they're directly linked with like christmas necessarily in the holiday season but they are definitely like a mountainy snowy thing yeah and so when we were walking the them around in town even more than usual like when you have a saint bernard you like people are constantly mm -hmm. like every room you walk into they're like oh my god oh my god i gotta go pet that dog but even more than usual holiday season seems like people are into them right yeah Winnie? I agree. <laughs> yeah, my uh, little 10 pounders, uh, not so much Christmas. They're, they're like snuggled by the fireplace. Like they're happy. Yeah, yeah, they're inside. Yeah, like they have snow, they're like too much snow. They just like can't even cope with. It's yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. like quick in and out. So yeah. speaking of quick in and outs, we've only been at this podcast since April of this year. So we haven't even hit our one year anniversary, but I thought it was just really good that we decided to think about 20, 2022 Roundup, really reflecting back on this whole experience because we were excited and still excited to do this, but we really kind of thought about like, what is the holy trinity of information that we really need to get out there of like these three core themes and how that really evolved and what we're looking forward to next year. So, you know, Dan, I'll kind of like toss it to you of these three major, you know, cornerstones that we're like, yeah. all right, like when we think about Feed Your Dog Facts, after we finally named it, by the way, <laughs> we went through several iterations and we landed on Feed Your Dog Facts, which has obviously a double entendre to that. But we love the name and it really seems to be resonating with people. But yeah, Dan, I mean, kind of like remind us of, you know, where we were when we were itty bitty podcasters thinking about yeah, what we're going to yeah. talk about. Before we became huge media. <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah. So, yeah, we wanted to like um, bake some structure into this. Right. And so we wanted to pick out segments or, or, or like uh, recurring bits sort of mm -hmm. so that we could um, because there's like some types of material that there's a like it's it's worth revisiting you can kind of take a look at different angles on it all the time and so for us our three like main types of episodes that we've done thus far 
have been number one, these like nutritional science reviews where we pick a topic that's really significant for pet owners regarding what they are feeding to their pets. And we do our best to summarize the current state of the scientific research concerning that topic. There's a great deal in the world of um, pet food, uh, you know, kind of mm -hmm. veterinary nutrition that frankly, it, to my eyes is misinformation is people either holding false beliefs um, because they've been misled intentionally or have developed the wrong idea or even where the research community is wrong. And there are plenty of other places where I believe that the um, conventional wisdom is correct. And so doing our best to try to decipher the record and try to tell people we think it actually shows is uh, has always felt like sort of the most valuable thing that we can bring to the table here. That's like a domain that I've got uh, legit expertise mm -hmm. in. And it's a, obviously an important thing for any pet owner when you're making decisions about what to feed your dog. Yeah, so, and I just want to quickly comment for this particular core topic. I mean, this is why both of us are here. Like Dan brings the science, the background, like all of the research of like, no, this is like the actual factual information uh, versus misinformation or like we call it BS out there in our, yeah. um, you know, episode or sorry, our podcast description where we're like, oh, look, there's a lot of misleading, but I come at it with a non-scientific uh, mindset of I have I have a diabetic dog I have dealt with a lot of these issues so you know I kind of represent I guess the common man and woman out there in terms of asking Dan of like okay so this means this and that's really interesting in terms of just making sure we're boiling it down is easy to the most digestible way I guess you could think of it like sure. we're representing sure. the facts but making sure you know what they mean <laughs> Yep. So. And trying to give you guys, anyone that's listening, the, the, the tools to analyze these issues for yourself too. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a extent to which I know every person is busy and no one can um, try to understand yeah. every science-based issue in full. And that to some degree, your approach to issues involving science is going to involve deference to what one person or another tells you about the existing record. And mm -hmm. there might very well be cases where um, we talk about a subject and our perspective on it uh, is one thing. And then you go talk to your veterinarian and their perspective is different. And essentially you're going to be you know, forced to either trust one or the other based on yeah. what you know about them. Or you, if in, in the perfect world, I think like the best world is like you revert to some of the tools that we have tried to teach folks about how to understand these issues so that you can take an even more, um, kind of rigorous or sophisticated mm -hmm. approach to sorting through what's truth and what's not when it comes to these things and just being like, I trust these folks or yeah. I trust this, these people. Yeah, um, we link to actual studies in every podcast episode. We link to visuals, like anything we're talking about. So it's certainly right if it depending on like the spectrum of how much you want to go forward with your own research or qualifying and all of this like double checking uh we have it for you it's not just like dan being like you need to trust me i'm just saying yeah, the facts. Sure. it's <laughs> so but yeah that's that's the one major core topic i agree and so what are our, i know that our most popular episode overall is one of those mm -hmm. and it was the one where we talk about protein consumption and how much protein yeah. you should really uh be feeding your dog um 
And the general take home to, to kind of distill that entire episode down into uh, a single little like sound bite is that if you're buying a complete and balanced dog food, um, then you know that you can feed it to your dog without worry that the animal is going to develop some kind of deficiency disease from not getting enough protein mm -hmm. that like, essentially you're not going to starve your dog if you feed it any kind of product that's been approved by regulators as what's called complete and balanced for whatever life stage your dog is. Um, but uh, for a variety of other reasons that we cover in the show, essentially with a few qualifiers, the like really what we believe is the most nutritious thing, the best kind of health related decision-making mm -hmm. you can make for your dog concerning protein is you should feed it essentially as much protein as you can find in a commercially prepared dog food that don't think of when you see a buzzword that says high protein as um as being something that's potentially at the high end or too much right. uh protein for your dog that's definitely not something you are going to encounter in the real marketplace in reality what are positioned as high protein dog foods are just those that are closest to what your dog consumed for 99.9% of its evolutionary heritage, what its ancestors consumed. None of it, um, in, including the, the, the products made by my company, Keto Natural Pet Foods, is gonna be equivalent to the amount of protein that a wolf takes in mm -hmm. on a regular basis. But they're all, the highest protein is essentially the closest you can get to it. And so more or less, that's, that's what the recommendation that, that emerges from that episode was. Were there any others that like, what, what were some of the other popular science ones over the past year that we hit? So we also did uh, the how to find the right puppy food. So that was mm. kind of encompassing the nutritional science in regards to like, okay, so is puppy food different and how is it different? Yep. Uh, so that was also another nutritional science one in the top yep. five. An important mm -hmm. one, an important one. You know, there is that one, the emerging, like the, the kind of rule that I think everyone should take home from it is that you can trust the regulators pretty, pretty effectively to not just ensure that um, if you feed the types of products they recommend to your puppy, not only is it not going to develop a deficiency uh, disease, but it's going to be set itself up for like optimal chronic disease mm -hmm. management going forward. Um, that particularly for large breed puppies for, you know, dogs like St. Bernard's and Great Danes and these very large breeds that grow very quickly when they are puppies. Um, there's special micronutrient content those diets need to contain. Essentially, the amount of calcium needs to be somewhat restricted because otherwise their bones can develop in weird ways. They can develop too quickly and kind of get growth abnormalities. Um, and it's been well documented in the scientific mm -hmm. literature. And so it's been um, baked into the regulatory content. If you want to buy a large breed puppy diet, it's going to have to contain the kind of calcium and phosphorus content that's going to avoid those that's been shown to avoid those problems most effectively. So yeah. that's certainly an important issue and one of like can't get on top of nutrition and chronic disease issues too early in your dog's life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those, these are things that develop. If you're talking about chronic disease risk, stuff that develops over a lifetime. And so the quicker you're able to get um, on top of those things and start making the best decisions that you can 
then mm-hmm. the more uh, run you're going to get out of those, the more benefit, more upside you see out of it. You know, if you, mm-hmm. the, the quintessential sad case, but it is quintessential is your dog gets a bad diagnosis and then you start paying attention to yeah. the, the nutritional issues that matter. You know, you see it with cancers. People go, oh my God, my dog has cancer. What mm-hmm. kind of food do I need to feed it to help it deal with that diagnosis best? In a perfect world, you should be approaching it. My dog is a puppy now. I want to give it the best chance of not getting cancer later. Let me proactively try to address these things. But that's mm-hmm. just, of course, that's just not how people work for the most part. You know, and I'm no, I'm no different. I, I would wager you're no different either. Like, it's, yeah, it's yeah, I agree. And you know, it's like I was just thinking of the holidays. So if you are thinking about adding to your pack of like getting a puppy, hopefully adopt, don't shop. Um, or know anyone in your family or friends circle that is thinking about getting a puppy. It's such a good episode. And it still even remains on sharing it on social, different yep. things like that. People are just really intrigued of like, okay, so am I feeding the right food to my puppy? Like they just want to make sure um, and double checking that. So yeah, that is a really good summary of our first, like that core topic when we were thinking about what to push out as episodes of just that nutritional science really encompassing that facts part of the podcast title so the next one for sure is super popular so we got three big cornerstones of what of the content we've been putting out one is these nutritional science topics uh the second is label reviews is Mm -hmm. to use the expertise that i've developed to offer judgments and perspectives on the marketing and packaging of pet food products that you might encounter in your life. Um, And you're right. Those have proven to be very popular. I can see why in the sense that number one, the way that the pet food industry is regulated, uh, the way the consumer regulation works is leaves a ton to be desired. And so as a consumer, you are going to enter a pet store at uh, not on a great footing unless you've done Mm -hmm. a great deal of background preparation to try to understand what the regulations are, what different claims mean, how to interpret the numbers you see on the bag. And so it's uh, obviously um, a a place where we can help a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've done it with a bunch of foods. I mean, I think if I recall, the three that stick out as being the most popular based on my recollection, I'm pretty sure this is right, is the Blue Buffalo Blue Wilderness product, Mm -hmm. which is one that is uh, heavily leans into the idea that if you feed this product to your dog, you're going to feed it like a wolf eats, which mm-hmm. is intuitively appealing to lots of people and has a very cogent science-based reasoning behind it as well. That like, in my view, opting uh, kind of like um, siding with mother nature in that kind of way is a really smart way to make decisions um, for mm-hmm. what to feed your dog in the, in the modern world. And basically our take home from that is that like, this is largely a marketing claim that is don't, don't, don't take away the idea that if you're buying blue wilderness, you are going to feed your dog more or less equivalent to what a wolf mm-hmm. eats. Cause it's not even close to true. It's a product that's more than 30% carbohydrate, you know, wolves eat zero percent carbohydrate they can't even digest the stuff effectively and so for a variety of ways um it might be more like what a wolf eats than um alpo or like you know right like (laughs) a um, slice of bread bread. yeah yeah (laughs) 
but it's not particularly wolfy. It's mostly yeah. a marketing shtick. And um, I honestly can't remember if it was that label review because that was our first one or if it was the next one. But we did deem uh, I, it was an on air kind of, I guess, revelation of the health halo where that was the first time we kind of introduced that. And we continue to use that in a lot of these marketing packaging claims of, OK, they said this, but like, look at the back of the package and then kind of comparing of what they're claiming, what it actually means, what the nutrition facts are showing us, the ingredients are showing us. So that is, a, I would say, like a, a cornerstone, <laughs> a key point to a lot of these label reviews. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's as far as I'm aware, there's not a single pet food company in America that is selling its products without also saying we are uniquely healthy. You yeah. should choose us because we're very healthy. Mm -hmm. It's really just a matter of whether they use very generalized, emotionally driven health halo, like you know, this feels healthy or this yeah. calls to mind imagery that feels healthy, or mm -hmm. if it's something that's more reasoned through and explain to you why they're making the claim that it's that the, the product is healthy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. That's like a, a product where the, the majority of the health argument is made through this haloing of, oh, yes, this feels yeah. very, yes, this feels, um, you know, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And we did a pretty wide variety, I would say, of like the different types of foods that we did label reviews. Yep. And in our top five was visionary pet foods, which was the low carb right. uh, comparison. And I remember you like starting that episode of like, this is very unique of in terms of they do have similar nutritional value of Absolutely. the low carb, but like, let's walk through the differences. And so I thought that was a very valuable episode in terms of it. You did compare, like, it wasn't that like, you're always very open and transparent of I'm a CEO and creator of Keto Natural Pet mm -hmm. Foods, but then you took on Visionary Pet Foods to show like, okay, here's another local carb. Yeah, we get uh, asked it all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. our kibble and Visionary's kibble yeah. are, are on an island basically in the current market mm -hmm. where it's like every other kibble product besides those two is double digit carbohydrate yeah. percentage, often as much as 50% or more carbohydrate. And none of them will try to make the claim that, oh, you should feed our product to your dog because the carbohydrate content is relatively yeah. low because mm -hmm. none of them can really make that claim. Visionary is different. They, like Ketona, have a truly very low digestible carbohydrate content in the product. But there are important differences. It, uh, they are, there are like significant material differences, um, mainly their product is higher in fat content and our product is higher in protein content and mm -hmm. not just like marginally, like significantly. They're both, to be clear, well above AFCO's minimum requirements for both of those nutrients because both of those are essential nutrients for dogs. Um, but in their case, it's like a quite a high fat food. Ours is quite a high protein food. The reason, the most common reasons people are going to choose one of those options or another nutritionally, at least in terms of just nutritional arguments. Um, number one, if you want to feed your animal uh, a lot of protein, relatively speaking, you're probably either using the logic that A, uh, th this is um, good for skeletal muscle and other lean tissues. This is something that's needed to maintain, to build and maintain those tissues, which is something that becomes all the more significant as the animal ages and starts to lose skeletal muscle mass. Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe you're using the argument that we already talked about, the reasoning we already talked about that um, I think it's good to basically feed my dog in the way that it's evol evolutionary heritage uh, suggests it ate for the vast majority of its, um, its history, in which case a higher protein diet should be your choice over a higher fat diet. Wolves do not consume a diet that is very, is notably high in fat content. Um, on the other hand, if you want to choose the visionary product because you think that a higher fat content is what you want to feed to your dog as opposed to a higher protein content, you're probably compelled by some line of reasoning that goes through um, ketosis. So mm -hmm. ketones the, 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 uh, are, are kind of the metabolic substrate that the whole keto diet and all the related keto-focused terms come from. And basically your body or your dog's body will produce ketones in the absence of dietary carbohydrates. So if you feed your dog a diet that um, has less than a certain amount of carbohydrate, it's going to basically start producing more of what are called ketone bodies and use those as metabolic fuel instead of the glucose that comes from the carbohydrate. And it has been shown that increasing fat content, uh, like medium chain triglycerides are like the specific type of fat where the, the evidence here is the best, but basically like more fat content tends to deepen ketosis, tends to make your dog produce more ketones. And there are some health related reasons why you might say, that's what I want most. That's more important for me than skeletal muscle and the, these protein based arguments. If you think that like fat content is the most important <clears throat> thing or one of the most important things, it's probably about that. And in that case, mm -hmm. uh, the visionary product is a better, better choice for you. So yeah, yeah, you can see why that one's popular because it's like, if you're listening to this <laughs> show, you're probably familiar with keto natural pet foods. You maybe mm -hmm. came about it because you're one of our customers and that's definitely a salient issue for you. You're thinking about which of these products is a better fit. So yeah. And I agree. Okay. And if, if you're searching for in general, low carb mm -hmm. dog food, I mean, there's, like you said, there's very little competitors in ter terms of like the true nutritional content. Um, and also in our third most popular was Hill's prescription diet. And we oh, also yeah, tackled, that makes a ton of sense too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also tackled, at least I would say a very condensed intro to dog diabetes within that same episode. But that one was interesting because uh, we yeah. introduced the concept of prescription, you know, foods and what that means too, and how that, you know, is a marketing ploy in and of itself and all of that hills, <laughs> that hills story. Yeah. But. So like, basically, if, if I recall when we, I think we've only done one hills product. And yes. so hills, mm -hmm. one of their big product lines is called prescription diet. And that line is only available with the veterinarian's prescription. And so as a result, the different products are uh, marketed uh, to veterinarians, not to consumers so much, but to veterinarians as being effective in the treatment or prevention of specific diseases, right? That's why a veterinarian prescribes uh, a, some kind of product or course of action with regard to your pet. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like to prevent or uh, uh, cure some kind of disease, reduce some kind of disease. And so in the case of the product that we reviewed, I think it's called WD um, and it's basically their metabolic diet. It's the one it's changed course. It's and I think we covered this in the episode over the years. Hills has um, kind of like massaged that product label, like what it's being recommended for 
they've at times, and I think this is how it is now, it's like multi-benefit. It's gotten very vague and mm -hmm. it's much less like a, you know, this is the COVID food. Yeah. Like feed this yeah. to avoid COVID. It's like multi-benefit. It gets a lot more general, but basically it's the product that is most commonly prescribed by veterinarians for dogs that have diabetes. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is a disease of um, basically faulty metabolism where dog can't process carbohydrate very mm -hmm. well. And so you would think in a perfectly rational world that the, uh, the course of um, treatment for a dog with that disease would be to feed it a diet with as little carbohydrate as possible. That's not really what the Hills product is. Um, the Hills product, as we cover in detail in the show, mm -hmm. is not as high a carbohydrate content as some of the other Hills products. So it's less than those. And in that sense, it's better for those animals than the higher carbohydrate ones. But it's also quite high in carbohydrate content. It's still 30 plus percent digestible carbohydrate being put into an animal that is physically incapable of mm -hmm. metabolizing that stuff with, without exogenous insulin. And so uh, it's, in, our, in my judgment, is like not a particularly smart. I think that's a, a place where in 20 years, the veterinarians of the next generation are mm -hmm. going to look back and go, oh my God. I really how hope so. How on earth did they think this was the right idea? Um, because it's not the case that like, the physiology of diabetes in dogs and cats is like any particular aspects of it that are not well understood, but it's not like if you go, you're, you go talk to a, a um, you know, corner store, small town veterinarian or somebody at a big national practice, mm -hmm. they can be able to explain the physiology of diabetes how, how it all works. Yeah. And they're going to be able to explain why a low carbohydrate diet is clearly the most sensible thing mm -hmm. to feed that animal. And, but what they'll struggle to explain is why they're nevertheless recommending a product that's 30 plus percent carbohydrate. Yeah. It is what it is. So yeah, we talked about that, that product in depth and you can again, see where that the interest in that probably comes from mm -hmm. because it, it, because a very low carbohydrate diet tends to produce such good outcomes in dogs with diabetes tends to reduce postprandial blood sugar so much mm -hmm. to a natural, like a, a big chunk of our customer base are folks whose dogs have diabetes. And so understanding how we are different, similar, better, worse than the standard course of care for a dog with diabetes is uh, is a really important topic for them. And so I, I, I get where that's uh, coming from. Yeah, and also a big chunk of these foods came directly from our listeners. I mean, we right. openly, right. at the end of every label review, we would say like, if you have a food that you want us to review, which we still have many more to go through. So label review is no, going yeah, nowhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Um, and we would do the open call at the end of the episode. And sure enough, you know, we got emails, um, you know, it's like <laughs> over 90% of our communication to the podcast uh email it was labor i think my dog like, this diet take a would you do yeah or i'm looking into this is this the right one my dog's diabetic is this good for her and so it's just very interesting i mean interesting so much of like people want to know like am i doing the right thing for my dog is this yeah, the right choice so uh yeah we're we're here to <laughs> build up the library of different brands so you can and quickly... i think we got some cool <laughs> stuff coming for 23 uh you yeah. know on that front basically something that we think might be uh cool to do over the coming year is not to devote 
all of the shows to a single brand and, yeah. and giving you all of our thoughts on that brand, but instead to provide a slate, a few, two or three options that folks often encounter and make a choice between. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the one that comes to mind, the kind of the basis for this idea was one of the like common types of uh, pet food you can purchase now are fresh, uh, home-delivered concepts. Mm -hmm. So made by companies like The Farmer's Dog, Ollie, uh, and Nom Nom Now. And running through a side-by-side -side comparison of those products to help people understand which types of products they should choose if they care about specific issues feels like a really good use of our time. So we're definitely going to do that one. But that same concept applies to other types of foods that are often considered side-by-side -side, mm -hmm. uh, as well. So yeah, they're usually that. tossed in a matrix together of like, here's the comparison. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm super excited to have that play out and see how that goes. I was telling Dan, I'm like a little nervous of doing three brands at once, but they all still have the same story. And so much of we'll look at the nutrition, we'll break it down. Um, you know, these other brands will not be giving less attention to this new format, but you know, these other brands, we were looking at like every single marketing claim. Yeah, I mean, we were going inch by inch, which rightfully so, I mean, they were pushing a lot of information out. So, um, but yeah, I think that's a really good recap of label review. And I do agree. Yeah. I think that's going to stay, but we're going to tweak it just a little bit and see how that, and if we don't get a good response, then we'll kind of rethink it. But I do agree with Dan. I think a lot of times these brands are shown side by side of like, if you think fresh food, you think of those top three, how do they compare? How, you know, what is mm -hmm. the breakdown of those? So yeah, that, that is great. I, I'm always excited to do label reviews. <laughs> and my dogs usually depends on if Dan's ordering the food and or I order oh, the yeah, food. Yeah, I know. I was about to make that too. I was like, like I'm sure Wayne <laughs> supports the idea of us comparing three foods at once because somebody's going to have to eat all of it. And somebody's going to have to. Um, and I will say if it, neither Dan or I like make the choice of like we would not feed our dog that food for whatever reason, that we do donate it. <laughs> so please know we're not tossing the these bags of food in the trash by any means, but we do buy every single bag and have it by our side to just make sure that we're, we're not just talking something digitally, we're in person. <laughs> so we have the other to yep, round out of our content is what we, the, our little uh, segment that we call more vets smoke camels, which is a sort of scary sounding eye-popping, designed to be eye-popping, um, <laughs> way of describing the phenomenon that in the modern practice of veterinary medicine, the mm -hmm. influence of industry is profound. It's as profound as it once was in um, uh, the human medical uh, pra practice of human-focused medicine mm -hmm. uh, with regard to the influence of tobacco companies on people's yeah. perspectives on the healthfulness of smoking. In the period of time prior to the 1950s, it was regularly the case. And you can find, this is where the name of the show comes from. You can find advertisements um, even to this day from that period of time where you'd have a doctor in a white lab coat smoking a cigarette that with the big claim right next, more, more doctors smoke camels, which is uh, read, you know, uh, 
80, 100 years on reads insane and, and horrible. And it's, oh it's my bizarre. God, a doctor was telling you to, but it was the reality then. Yeah. And it was a function of the system as it was, uh, as it was functioning at that point, you know, mm -hmm. so there was, they, those, those um, companies had a big influence in how medicine was practiced. And in the modern veterinary community, industry has a big influence in how uh, veterinary medicine is practiced. And there are ways in which um, that produces uh, bad information. And there are ways in which that produces bad health outcomes or it plays mm -hmm. a role. And so us, uh, our more vet smoke camels segment has been our attempt to try to highlight specific cases of that specific issues that have arisen from that reality the reality that industry plays a huge role in influencing the modern practice mm -hmm. of veterinary medicine and where it's problematic if you're a pet owner where you should be aware of it and where it sometimes skirts it's not immediately apparent um, on the surface um, and trying to kind of make sure that everybody brings a full um, a, a fuller sense of understanding to their mm -hmm. interactions with their veterinarian so we talk about things like um, uh, the typical curriculum at a um, top level veterinary school in the United States today and where, where the information that they're taught about mm -hmm. uh, nutrition comes from in terms of what books are used, in terms of what professors are teaching it, in terms yeah. of how much content, all that kind of stuff. A um, little bit of a, a more esoteric topic. It's like it tends to be, I would think, if, if I wasn't like, if this wasn't my little domain, I think that uh, that would have a little less like it's a little less punchy. You've got to be pretty interested in dog food yeah. to be, yeah. be way down with that. Um, or maybe you're uh, and this has always been like a, a weird thing. I, I think about when putting together the material for this show is like we do. I I like to think that there's that some degree of value comes out of these shows. If you're a veterinary professional, if you're a, a veterinarian, mm -hmm. a, if you're a veterinary nutritionist, if you're a veterinary technician, any one of those three things, I would like to think that there's value that comes out of listening to a show like this. Even if you disagree with 99% of it, there's mm -hmm. a certain amount of value that comes out of it. Because I, I would hope that anyone that falls into one of those, that does one of those things for a living, if you listen to this show, maybe you disagree with our interpretation. I, you know, I, I think that it, I like to think that even that is somewhat uncommon. I think we, I, I think we uh, bring a, a pretty like um, reasonable approach to our interpretation of the evidence. Sure. And I feel rock mm -hmm. solid about our knowledge of the evidence. Um, but even if you do disagree with it, I think there's value that comes out of it because I don't think that uh, I, I'd like to think that we put out our stuff in a way that if you are a veterinary professional, you don't listen to this and go, these guys haven't done their homework. And if you listen to this, you don't go, uh, these guys have done their homework, but they're operating in bad faith. They're mm -hmm. trying to mislead you despite what they know. I, I, I the, neither of the, I believe that we operate in really good faith. I think I take it yeah. really seriously and I believe that we've done our homework. Um, and uh, so I don't, I, I'd like to think that's not a common reaction, but it, it, there's this, you know, who's your audience is always like an issue for us, right? Yeah. You're going you're to structure this content one kind of way if you're talking to veterinarians, mm -hmm. if you're talking to lay people. We do our best to to toe the line and make it valuable to everybody. Um, so yeah, that's been a big focus as well on the, the content of the show. Yeah, and so we split up in different parts, and the first part did rank in our top ten. But I do think 
it's such a hard thing for me to kind of wrap my head around of like, I agree with you. It's a very niche topic of like, this is something I feel like at a conference, like everybody who's like knowing, you know, about it, like are getting into like really in depth, like, you know, uh, counterpoints and what about this? And did you know this? But yeah, it's like not something that carries a punch of you're at a party and you're like, did you know that? You know, like, did you know that, like, yeah, yeah. professors at university? I mean, you're telling me it's what? like, yeah, about you know, my <laughs> my partner works in a veterinary office. Okay, yeah. a mm -hmm. lot of my personal friends are veterinarians, right? And of course, I encounter veterinary professionals all the time in my personal life. And every time I have an interaction in one of those places, I have to sort of make an internal decision. All right, are we yeah. going to go into this stuff or not? Because right. if we are going to go into it, the you have to like, there's a threshold topic that you got to deal with, which is like these people very justifiably are going to um, approach this interaction with me with a huge amount of skepticism. Mm -hmm. You, If you've been trained up as a professional and somebody that's an expert in a certain body of knowledge, and every time someone comes up to you and says, I know a lot about this and I think you're wrong. If you're going to not approach that with skepticism, you're going to mm -hmm. drive yourself crazy and yeah. you're going to be it's not efficient. Like there's absolutely no reason that I think it's a problem that that's. But at the same time, it's that I can overcome, I believe, in, in the vast majority of cases, I can demonstrate where our knowledge comes from and the book that I've written in my life, what I do professionally and um, get there. But it's a huge process. You know what I mean? It's not a short thing. And so. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it happens to me like every day, you know, yeah. like, like going to dinner, <laughs> right, with Lexi, my partner, and two of her colleagues, right? Sure. And imagine at some point, they're, everybody's talking about their work. And one of them says, well, I had a client come in the other day, and it was feeding it, he was feeding his dog a grain free diet. And I immediately reached out to him and said, that's going to increase your dog's risk of DCM. And then they have this whole big story that stems from that. That puts me in a position where it's like either we're going to spend the rest of that dinner yeah. talking about that one issue because there's so much around it. And yeah. there's such a big gulf between where I start that conversation and that person starts that conversation. It's going to take the rest of the dinner just to go there. And it's going to be sort of emotionally unpleasant at times. Somebody there's going to be disagreement at the beginning mm -hmm. and, it, and through the process of like figuring out uh, how much that disagreement's going to last. Right going to go through some uncomfortable stuff and uh mm -hmm. despite how respectful and professional everybody's going to try to be yeah it's a it's a really common thing i more often than not choose like not even to go there and um just yeah. think about you know these issues matter hugely to me but i don't think that you make big meaningful change mm -hmm. by having individual conversations with um, individual clinicians, uh, yeah. in all truth, like, it's like, there are more than a hundred thousand vets in the United States today. Even if every dinner I went to, I took the exact opposite perspective and tried to persuade every time I wouldn't, it's a drop in the bucket and mm -hmm. we can be more effective in other kinds of ways. We're going to like truly improve, um, the way the scientific literacy of the veterinary community and of the lay public pet owning public. I think that we've got to use other, uh, tools tools that can reach more effectively.
Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, it's hard for me to kind of balance in my mind because the, the information is fascinating. I mean, I remember when I first read your book and you first introduced this topic of like, Hey, we really need to like discuss this on the podcast because the, the veterinary community has biased information. That's kind of like the core of this. And it's, you know, I like, so I often think of, can we reapproach this and maybe like a new framework or, you know, like, how do we do this? Because it's, it's just absolutely mind blowing once we get into the details, but yeah, like how do we make this digestible? So you, so it is like a pack of punch at a party when you're like, you know, circled around friends and you're like, Oh my God, like I just heard on this podcast, this and this. And it's just that like one, two takeaway, so yeah, I think we can certainly, as we get deeper into the weeds of 2023 planning, um, kind of like maybe, I don't know, maybe reapproach it, maybe uh, think about adjusting the framework. But yeah, I always found it fascinating, but it was such a cool trial to like think about how do we condense yeah. all of this information. Yeah. So yeah, that, that rounds out the, as I Those like Those are our three <laughs> main types of <laughs> the holy trinity of... <laughs> We've given you this year. We intend to do the same thing uh, in 23. Yeah. Those are going to continue to be the three main things that we focus on. We've learned a lot over this year yeah. about, what, like we said, what kinds of approaches to those various things are, are working best and people are getting the most value out of. And so we're going to go go there more or less. Yeah. But maybe you want to talk about what you think about what do you see for 23? I mean, is that does that cover 22? I mean, I know yeah, that we, I think so we've too. done work outside of, the, outside of those episodes. You know, my, yeah. my professional life is in doggy nutrition stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I found we haven't, I think we're going to do a podcast about this uh, entirely devoted to this. But one thing that I, I'd be remiss not to at least mention is that recently um, we finally launched a nonprofit organization that I've created over the course of the year that basically is like another um, prong of this same sort of exercise, this same sort of subject, which is like trying to reduce the harmful influence of industry interests in the practice of veterinary medicine, that there are places where, you know, that the existing system is right. harmful in the sense that it's causing people to make bad decisions regarding what they think is most healthful for their dogs. And so the nonprofit that I created is called the Pet Food Consumer Rights Council. It's the first organization of its kind, which is, it is what's called a consumer union in the pet food world. And it's a way of aggregating the influence of individual pet food consumers so that collectively they are, can have a seat at the table um, next to very large and powerful industry interests. You know, an individual mm -hmm. pet owner can't reasonably, uh, doesn't have the same amount of leverage and power and influence as a big publicly traded multinational billion plus dollar company, but acting together, um, they can't. And so our hope is that uh, this organization, which again, we'll talk more about when we do our whole intro show about it, um, can improve that situation, can like basically increase the extent to which the regulatory community and the veterinary community um, place the priorities of individual pet owners ahead of the priorities of interest. Um, yeah. in the practice of professional science in the practice of clinical veterinary care in the practice of um, the regulation of pet food products.
and we do it in a bunch of cool ways. It's just brand new, just off the ground. So you can talk more about it, but it's like, if anybody, I date myself even saying this, even though the guy's still alive and still working, it's like it, the work that the, the, um, consumer advocate Ralph Nader has done on behalf mm. of consumers in lots of other domains. That's sort of the inspiration for this um, is trying to translate that concept of um, advocacy on behalf of consumers into the pet food world where it's typically not been um, a, a place where consumers truly have uh, meaningful advocates. Yeah, it's, it's just bringing, I remember when you first were talking about to me a while ago, I think it was like when we first started the podcast, when you're like, hey, I'm like look, looking at just really getting this nonprofit off the ground. It's just bringing a voice and justice to pet owners of yep. really peeling back that red curtain because there were so many things that you were talking me through where I was like, I had no idea that was going on, but you need to get it out there. And this Yeah, is yeah. It's like, it's the doors. <laughs> You know, at the risk of saying, of just making this whole show about that, it's like a big part of the planning and the creation and like the legal structure of it is making sure that it operates authentically mm -hmm. in that way. That like, I am a pet food entrepreneur. I am the pet food industry. It's not, it can't, this thing will yeah. not function at all. If it's just like Dan's nonprofit, trust me, I'm going to be different than something mm -hmm. like the Morris Animal Foundation, which is like very heavily influenced by the company Hills Pet Nutrition. It's like, we have to structure it, set it up differently so that I can't influence it once it's up and running. And that's kind of hard to do authentically. We can talk about it, um, what we've managed to do for it. And I think we've done really cool stuff. And um, so there's that, there's like, where does it exert its influence? Scientific research is like the place I think where you can make the biggest mm -hmm. strides on behalf of consumers. Like right now, if you're doing veterinary nutrition research, it, the, the kind of stuff that gets put into textbooks and peer-reviewed journals, it is incredibly difficult to get funding for your study from sources outside of industry. It's mm -hmm. just like a reality of the practice of science in the veterinary world these days is like, if you want to repeatedly get funding, you got to have industry partners that are willing to fund it. And that's a problem, of course, right? Like if there was... Mm -hmm. If it was the case that all the lung cancer research ever being done was coming from cigarette companies, we would not know that cigarettes cause lung cancer, period, full stop. Nobody yeah. would know that yet because they would be actively against getting that information out. And mm -hmm. similar issues are going to exist in the veteran. I believe that they do exist. There are things that right now you can't, if you're a, sci a professional scientist studying um, doggy nutrition, you can't get funding for certain kinds yeah. of important topics because industry doesn't like them. And so a big part of this work is trying to create an alternative source of funding so that topics that really matter to pet owners, but that aren't getting touched because of they, their potential negative implications for industry actually get funding through through a different source. So that's a big part of the work that we're going to be doing. Yeah, that, it's all amazing. And, you know, congratulations again of just getting it off the ground. I mean, that's half yeah. the battle. Yeah, that's um, the analogy. I struggle. I'm such a big analogy person. <laughs> but like to try to under to communicate to folks how, wait, you created this thing, but you're not going to influence it. It's like, yes, yeah. that is the claim. Um, and like, I'm mm -hmm. not mincing words about that. And like the analogy is I drive the plane down the runway. I've like created a structure that once it is off the runway, 
the passengers get to say, okay, who's going to be the pilot? Cause it's not going to mm-hmm. be Dan. And I got no, I'm just another passenger on the plane. Once the thing is off the runway, we yeah. get to choose who the pilots are based on who we really think is the best fit individually as pet owners. And mm-hmm. I don't have a bigger say in that than anybody else that's a member of the organization. Um, and then, you know, where the plane is going to fly and who's going to fly it is entirely up to everybody else. I just got to get the thing off the runway. Hopefully that plane goes somewhere warm. (laughs) Hopefully it's going Hawaii. Oh my God, Wayne is about to bump the tripod. Your dog dog can't. It's too small to knock the camera around. Wayne is so big. It's just like... My gosh, bull in a China shop, I tell you. Bull in a house, bull in a bungalow. He's just like... Your house becomes a China shop when you have a way in a bungalow. I love that. So let's just quickly touch base. Like, again, we don't want to dedicate the episode to it because keep uh, your eyes open for the episode that will go after this one. And that is an intro to DCM. Um, But we we will be doing some more in depth and not to give everything away. But, you know, Dan, can you kind of speak to that of at least we have some really good anticipated news, a teaser. This is a teaser. In 2023, we have already shot and recorded two, and there will be at least one more episodes devoted to the subject of dilated cardiomyopathy and nutrition in dogs. Um, I, we, I think this is a teaser because this subject is one of like vanishingly few that is a doggy nutrition topic that has Mm -hmm. become mainstream news. There was at least a period of time where the New York Times cared about this issue and its readers cared a lot about it. And it's sort of, I mean, it's at this point, the newsworthiness of it has sort of waned. Um, But there was a time where this was the very rare doggy nutrition issue that people cared about. Point number one, why I think it's gonna be something that people are gonna have a great deal of interest in. Point number two, the vast majority of what we bring to the table when we're discussing, like my expertise is book learning stuff is largely, I know how to parse through the scientific record. I can faithfully and reliably talk to people about what that record shows. I can interview the people that played a role in putting that stuff together. And, and it, you know, I'm a, a you will trust me or not trust me mm-hmm. based on that kind of a research process. I have a different relationship to the issue of dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs. I am what in the legal community is known as a fact witness. I have direct evidence that is in my possession and in very few other people's possession in the entire United States right now that bears directly on this issue. And the reason that we've shot these episodes but have not yet published them is the process of like putting all that stuff to use has significant legal implications. We have to time it out to to work well within that. But basically there are documents that kind of are really impactful in the public's perception of this issue that we're gonna talk through in great detail. This podcast will be the primary platform for us talking about that stuff. And you're not gonna find that in other news sources unless we share our findings with other people, which will be a part of the process. But like, we'll be able to talk about it in, in particularly big detail. And so like, between those two things, I would fall out of my chair if our DCM material isn't the most popular stuff we've ever put together. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just no reason for it not to be uh, kind of, uh, you know, order of magnitude bigger. 
than what we've done so far because it's an issue that matters to tons of veterinarians and tons of lay people and um we have stuff that is truly novel about mm -hmm. it um and so yeah it's and it's super, still an everyday conversation like you just said like you were just out to Absolutely. dinner with your partner Absolutely. and your colleagues yeah oh, i mean that's yeah. that's something yeah <laughs> you know you go go there's a you know if you have anybody in your life that works in uh, the practice of clinical veterinary medicine, mm -hmm. they have an opinion about this subject. Um, and I am telling you right now, they do not have the material that we're going to be discussing about the discussion on yeah. the show. And I'm telling you that in nine out of 10 of those cases, it's like just undeniable. It's going to shape your perspective to some yeah. degree. Maybe you don't completely change your mind and go, wow, everything I thought I knew about that issue was wrong but it's going to change. It's absolutely stuff that you need to take into consideration, yeah. regardless of whether you are the, um, you know, the CEO and chief medical officer of a veterinary practice that operates across an entire region of the country, or whether you're just a pet owner that's trying to make a decision for your mm -hmm. dog. It's absolutely 100% categorically relevant to both of those people. And it's going to be, a, it's going to be Armageddon, uh, exciting. It's going to be exciting. It's like, I have, this is an issue that I've been involved with for a long time. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It started becoming a news item in 2018. Um, mm -hmm. And at that period and in 2019, I was involved kind of in a public way on in some aspects of it, right? Where there was stuff that I was doing that was trying, I was trying to draw attention to specific aspects of it. And in the course of doing that, it immediately became clear like how emotionally charged that issue is for better and for worse. Like people are mm -hmm. wound up about it as a subject. And so people want to pay attention to it, but it also produces a lot of stress because you get people oh, who are yeah. so emotionally charged up over it that you get some nasty stuff getting slung around and you've got mm -hmm. to be able to kind of manage that and deal with that. Um, so it's no, it's not a cakewalk, but it's super interesting and it's gratifying because I think there's real benefit that comes out of it. I think there's harm being caused right now that we can mm -hmm. um, help to remediate to some degree through uh, this stuff. So it's super yeah, yeah, stay tuned. Absolutely. And yeah. to Is round it? out uh, 2023, definitely we'll always kind of share any anticipated news or any industry news that is kind of coming out for like regulatory purposes, labeling purposes, yes. for absolutely yes. impacting all dog food packaging um, on the stores <laughs> that you are currently buying. So yeah, there's big that stuff that's coming. It's a little <laughs> bit like, yeah, we'll talk about it in 23, but they're like the, the information that you're going to see on your dog food label is going to change. And it's going to change in really uh, significant and really positive ways. You don't get to say that that often yeah. in the pet food world that the labeling regulations are about to get a whole lot better for consumers, but they seem to be, it's not, the ship hasn't completely left the dock yet, but it's, it's, I mean, I'll string the analogy, but like it's close and it's close enough that we'll be able to talk about it over the course yeah. of 23 and lead up to it, help uh, explain what's changing to everybody, give you a better sense of how to operate within it. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. Stuff. We Sounds always like want to stay on top of like how our dog food is cheap. Our dog food packaging is changing. <laughs> Not the dog food. Who doesn't? Well. <laughs> Who doesn't? Wait up at Who night does? for the latest episode drop about how dog food is labeled in the exactly. United States. <laughs> All 
the internet bandwidth that is devoted to that. Right? Just that. Just that. So I wanted to end this episode on a lighter note. Um, Because we've really been at this, like I said, less than a year, I want to kind of propose the question to you, Dan, and I'll answer it as well, is what have you, what is like the number one thing that you've learned creating a podcast, doing a podcast, getting this out into the world, the content, I mean, anything that kind of comes to mind of you've been on podcasts as a guest, but now you're hosting a podcast. So like, what is uh, the number one takeaway that you've learned in this last year? Um, I think it's that you don't start a podcast unless you think what you say is interesting and useful. Um, And I'm no exception to that. Mm. I, you know, you and I both are so close to the ground on these issues that it looks like the entire world often, you know, it's our work. It's like anybody else with your work, you, it's easy to get caught up in your own sphere of the world. And it's just like, this is all there is. Everybody cares a ton about this stuff. The reality is nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares very much at all. Or like relatively speaking, it makes up the tiniest component of the world, not the whole world. Mm-hmm. And so what is what's become clear to me over the course of doing this and over the course of getting interviewed on so many podcasts is that you have to make it super interesting for people. You cannot assume that everybody is walking into this show with anything close to your level of interest in this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you got to make it fun punchy, memorable. you got to explain the significance of it to people because it is significant stuff. It is important stuff. But as like, like we make light of it all the time, it's still at the end of the day, it's like how you're labeling dog food in the US is like a super <laughs> lame thing. Like, let me tell you, here, let me give you a good, uh, a, a very brief anecdote that explains. We as Keto Natural Pet Foods is a startup company. We raise money from investors as part of what we do, right? Um, and there are lots of folks who are incredibly smart who are making big decisions about whether to invest in this company. The professional money managers that are saying, does this company deserve, is this gonna be something that's gonna get more valuable or less valuable over time, right? These are people that have a lot of resources that do their homework, Mm -hmm. that have junior level people that they can just put on the case and be like, you're gonna sift through every document before we make the decision whether this is right or not. And we have dozens of them that have invested in the company. I don't think a single one of them has ever read my book. Hmm. that's a really relevant subject for you if you are but like it's such a oh my god a book about dog food regulation (laughs) is such a chore for so many people that like that is not even something that like a single one as far as i'm aware has ever done i think it's an indictment frankly like i would like to think if i was in their shoes that is definitely something i would do But more to the point, like the lesson that I've taken from it is like this stuff is just not that interesting to people and you have to make it interesting if you want to get your message and your your info out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's all good. And I'll just build off of that. (laughs) It's really, I have learned the balance of preparing enough for the episode, but not over preparing where it feels stilted, where it feels like we've rehearsed because we do not rehearse these episodes. And so it has to feel very conversational in a way, but still educational. And that is a very fine line to toe. And I I wanted to feel natural. I wanted to feel like we're learning something, but also it's conversational in tone of like, oh, that's really super. Like just we're, so I, 
at least we've had that chemistry so far with all of these episodes of, I feel like we've done a very fine job, <laughs> job of that. But the first few, I felt very rocky of like, Ooh, are we doing good, good enough job? But yeah, it seems to be resonating with everyone in terms of it's doing well. It's doing better than I expected it to do. It's Not to say great. that it's going to yeah. overtake Joe Rogan or right. whatever daily, but it's Who doing knows? well and yeah, better than I expected. It's credit to your work as a producer, I would say, more than uh, yeah. as like somebody that just talks. Yes, um, this is my first time uh, really producing anything of this magnitude and co-hosting and all of that. But I've learned so much. I'm so grateful for the experience. But yeah, I mean, it to me, that was my biggest takeaway of like, not feeling, but you want to be prepared in terms of like all the information and we do visuals and link to studies and things like that, of course, but you don't want it to feel like, oh God, are they reading like PowerPoint slides? What's happening? <laughs> so Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that is, I think as important, it, uh, not like I know anything about the subject, but for whatever I do know, there's nothing I think that is more important to persuasive public speech speaking. If you're trying to teach to a room of kids or if you're trying to argue to a jury or if you're trying to put out a podcast, you're trying to communicate yeah. information to people. There's literally, I think, nothing that is more important than making sure that people believe, understand that you are talking about what you actually believe in and know mm -hmm. and not that you are reading it from just having written it down. I believe that people have a kind of hard to put your finger on detector for yeah. that, that there's something very different about your speech patterns when you are reading something, when you are giving a speech as a politician, than when you are just talking about something that you know and really believe in. And yeah. there's, and people on a, on a very reactionary uh, subconscious level disregard stuff if mm -hmm. they believe that it's just like, well, this is just what they wrote down. This isn't yeah. what they're actually, what they actually believe. And so, yeah, I think it's vital that we keep it up in this style. Plus, think of all the good jokes, that, <laughs> all the humor. Yeah, maybe I'll make a highlight reel. Stuff. Oh, highlight! <laughs> that'll be a really popular episode. If you're really quick, that'll be a 20, 20 second. Uh, maybe 20 we'll uh, maybe we'll push something out on like the tikataka of like, oh, like here's the highlight, all the jokes that we said over the episode. Gonna be quick. Uh, <laughs> Well, if you're still listening, thank you for hanging out with us for an hour as we round it out this year. We hope that you have a wonderful year yourself. Yeah, and have a happy great holiday holidays. season, everybody. Happy holidays. Be like my St. Bernard on my shirt. Be festive. Yeah. Have, a, have a lovely time. We'll talk to you all in 23. Well, Absolutely. I think we may even have another show before it's got 23. Yeah. But we got big plans this for 23. This is before so the holidays. This is before everyone's okay. traveling. But okay. yes, thank you so much for listening. Thank you all for all of your support. And we just absolutely appreciate every single listener. And we hope that you continue to stick with us as we bring more uh, big news. Yeah. <laughs> so, thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, Jen. Bye, everyone.